Hey, Joel here, founder and lead teacher of the Think Institute and host of this podcast. I wanted to let you know about something really exciting that's coming up soon. I've been hosting the ThinkPod for nearly two years, and I've loved speaking with some of the most fascinating minds out there. Well, one of my most fascinating guests and I have decided to partner up and take on a new project. I'm talking about the noted apologist, Cy Ten Bruggenkate. He and I will be launching our new limited run podcast called Answer Anyone at the end of January. You'll be able to join us as we dig into the toughest objections to Christianity using the method that Cy is known for that I talk about on the ThinkPod, presuppositional apologetics. And we're going to reveal to you how you can biblically and effectively defend the truth of the Christian message. We will be rolling out new episodes of Answer Anyone with Cy Ten Brudengate later this month right here on the new Think Institute Network. And there's a great way for you to support the show even as we prepare to launch. You can partner with Cy and myself by going to patreon.com slash answer anyone. Why not go check it out right now? This episode is brought to you by the Christian Culture Builders Group on Facebook and MeWe. Believers in Jesus optimistically working to create great commission hubs for the propagation of the gospel, the furthering of Christ's kingdom, and the emergence of robust, fruitful Christian culture. We work through the three spheres of authority, the family, the church, and the state, and the pillars of influence in society to make it happen. Check out the Christian Culture Builders Group on Facebook or MeWe today. Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective, with your host, Joel Sedekes. And now, get ready to think. Welcome to the Think Podcast with Joel Sedekes. I'm Joel Sedekes, and this is the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective to help you explain, share, and defend the Christian message. Now, in order to be able to do that, we need, we believers need to be ready to have conversations with people who believe differently than us, even people who believe diametrically differently than us, even people who host massive events to promote ideas that are diametrically opposed to the ones we believe. Now, if you don't know who I'm talking about yet and why I'm bringing this up, I'm speaking about my guest for today, who is... Uh, about as far on the other end of the spectrum in terms of worldview, I think, as one could get. Maybe not. Maybe somebody could challenge that. But in today's day and age, it may seem that meaningful dialogue between people who diametrically disagree with one another about fundamental issues is growing increasingly rare. But when the opportunity comes, we need to be ready. We need to be ready to have our beliefs challenged, and we need to be able to explain, share, and defend the Christian message. So on today's episode of the Think Podcast, our second episode of season three, which just began earlier this morning, get ready to see exactly such a dialogue as Travis Pangburn joins me on today's Think Podcast episode. Now, who is Travis Pangburn? If you don't know, he is a philosopher, producer, and YouTube personality. His channel has many important discussions between great philosophical and scientific minds, most notably between Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson. Uh, faithful viewers of this channel will know about Jordan Peterson as uh, my brother Parker and I have done a series on his 12 Rules for Life on our um, Sons of Thunder show. Now, Travis is 
currently finishing his first book, which seeks to explain unknown components of emergent mind properties. You can learn more about Pangburn at P-A-N-G-Burn.com. Pang-Burn.com. Now, today we're going to discuss Travis's backstory, whether or not he had any religious upbringing, and how he came to embrace atheism and skepticism, and why Travis Pangburn is not a Christian. So, Without any further ado, let's go ahead and welcome him onto the stream. Travis, welcome. Hey, how's it going, man? It's I'm I'm doing well. I, look, doing well. I love your intro. I love the setup of this. It all looks really nice. I love the music. I was going boots and cats and boots and cats. And boots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I the saw you time, grooving to it the whole time, and then I started uh, hearing the melody of the piano. I love it, man. It's uh, it, I, I like the setup. I like the the voiceover work. It's all good. So well, thanks, man. And and uh, you're a, you're a uh, musical person yourself, aren't you? You bet, man. I that's my pr preferred mode of communication is music. Uh, I hear music when I touch a tree, man. That's that's the way I live. That's deep, man. That's deep. <laughs> uh, what uh, what do you do? You play instruments? Do you sing? Yeah. So I got my piano behind me. So I've been playing and singing basically my my whole life. I'm I'm mostly uh, uh, learned the piano by ear. And uh, so self-taught for the most part, but I had some really good mentors throughout the throughout my journey in music that really, really turned me on to things. And I, I can remember seeing my first video of Jerry Lee Lewis playing the piano and banging at it like this and going yeah, like this. And yeah. I was just like, that has to be me one day. So uh, Boogie Woogie really turned me on to things. Ray Charles, yeah. King, all of these guys got me into different these different modes of music that I just... It, it, I hear it and I'm just like, I need to be a part of it. And, and you know, that's, that's kind of how I got started in music. Yeah. Right on, man. Uh, I'm a, a little bit of a, well, more of a former boogie piano player myself. I started. Oh, cool. Yeah. When I, um, you know, when you're learning piano, I'm sure you know this, when you're learning piano, there's really two routes you can go. You can go the classical route or you can go the boogie woogie route. And uh, I forget, I think it was somewhere around first grade. I decided I was going to start pursuing boogie. Cool. And, uh, so 12 bar blues, boogie, yeah. all that stuff. Right on man. Yeah. I live for that stuff. I still like just, I, I sometimes fall asleep to it. Like I, I, I don't know. There's something about it. It's like, uh, it's beautiful chaos. That's good. That's good. It, 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 you're right. It feels like, you know, you listen to that, you feel like you're coming home. I don't know. There's something very familiar about it. Yeah. With bluegrass too, because I grew up a, a around a lot of bluegrass and country uh, really old, old stuff yeah and uh well my my grandfather's a bluegrass guitar player and uh and he really uh was a was a key factor in turning me on to music my dad's a, a guitar player as well and singer my dad got me interested in singing i think uh mm. mostly and um so so yeah i was always surrounded by a lot of music but bluegrass when i hear an old bluegrass song come on a playlist or something it that one really brings me back home mm. i'm actually i grew up in a small village uh, in the interior of British Columbia of only a thousand people, uh, uh, you know, hunting, fishing village, uh, yeah. playing hockey, uh, eventually got into the arts and, and performing, uh, in live theater and, and music I had a band black, white, and red all over was my band. Uh, but, uh, yes. Yeah, so R E A D or R E D R E D we okay. went with. And we all, uh, one more black, one more. And it was interesting because one of us was half black. The other one was half First Nations. And I was the mostly white guy. So we kind of had all of those racial colors taken care of. 
That's pretty <laughs> cool, man. Hey, it reminds me of one of my favorite songs when I was a kid. Jesus loves the little children, red, yellow, black, and white. So look at that. You that was a crossroads for you, Travis. You could have gone the other way, but uh hey, you know what? Um make the demonstration and I'm there with you. Oh, oh, okay. We're gonna have a lot of fun. I can already tell. I'm excited. Oh, and by the way, I just wanted to say I have my Ben Shapiro shirt on that that says Ben Shapiro likes infant genital cutting uh, because he does. You know, he 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 likes uh, this idea that fundamentally is connected to his religiosity and Judaism of removing healthy uh, uh, penis tissue from little uh, baby boys, and I think that's disgusting. But Ben Shapiro loves it; he thinks it's great. I just wanted yeah. to get the, get that out there because I, I I'm not sure how you feel about this practice, but. Uh, I think it's disgusting. You know, um, uh, I'm not sure the last time you read the the New Testament, but uh, the Apostle Paul actually goes off on circumcision. He he says circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Um, obviously, that was a sign of the old covenant. And yeah. um, you know, biblically speaking, in the in the new covenant, again, I'm not yeah. sure how familiar you are with these theological categories. Well, but, I, I'm pretty familiar, but G, but the, the the problem with this this argument that I hear from you is that. Jesus, uh, you know, seemed to, at least in, in, in my reading, endorse, and in other people's reading too, uh, the Westboro Baptist Church being one group, uh, mm. endorse the, uh, the old laws, right? So, well, it, yeah, in a way, I mean, I have to know what you, what you mean by that, because right. there's, you know, you're free to get circumcised, you're free not to get circumcised, but in terms of it being a, um, you know, a sign of, of the covenant with God, that was restricted to the old covenant era and yeah. you know in the new in the new testament we're uh we're not under that good era, that well, era or that covenant anymore dude if you're not out there mutilating baby penises the, it, it, that's awesome in my book well, well there's probably you know there's issues that we need to talk about prior to uh prior to that because sure. you know um it, it's uh i've been looking forward to this interview for for some time because you know i see when I think about the work that you do, I see a lot of similarities to what we try to do with the Think Institute, which is to try to bring people together who, um, you know, to foster a, a healthy dialogue, respectful dialogue, but also really we're about truth. And, uh, you know, you and I are, I'm sure going to uh, disagree. I mean, we, we already disagree about circumcision, I think. But, um, you know, I'm interested, Travis, you described yourself when I asked you if you were an atheist in, in the... Um, uh, you know, the Facebook messages we were exchanging back and forth. You said, yes, I'm an atheist and a skeptic. Could you just begin by defining what do you mean by atheist? What do you mean by skeptic? Sure. Yeah. Um, so atheism to me, the way I use the label and, and, you know, almost all my colleagues, anyone I've ever worked with who claims to be an atheist uses this, uh, uh, definition, but it's simply the rejection of positive God existence claims. So basically someone, uh, here's the example. Someone comes along and says to me, Hey, these gods exist or this God exists. And I'm like, Oh, interesting. That's a, that's an interesting claim. Uh, why do you believe that? And then their demonstrations are insufficient. Like they'll hold up a book that was uh, to me and, and many historians quite obviously written by bronze age peasants who claimed to be divinely inspired. Uh, so, so they'll they'll bring up things like this, and it's just not uh, sufficient em evidence to demonstrate the claim of uh, of gods existing, which is quite an extraordinary claim. 
Uh, so, so really, I just don't think the the claims of God's existence, uh, any God, you know, Zeus, Apollo, Thor, Juju on the mountain, any of them have have really met their burden of proof. Um, so, so, so that's what I mean by atheism. So it's basically the same thing that if someone was to come up to me uh, and say leprechauns exist, the only problem is you can't see them; they're invisible. They're all around us right now. And and I would say, well, why do you believe that? Well, it says so in this leprechaun book. Right. It, it, this book is 2,000 years old. Why don't you believe it? And I would be like, okay, it's an interesting book, but you need to make a demonstration. I'm not just going to buy that there are leprechauns, you know, running around mad, uh, you know, looking for their lucky charms. So how did you, how did you come to this uh, rejection of all, as you put it, uh, rejection of all positive God claims? Is that something that you always grew up with or... Is that something that you sort of arrived at? What was your background like? I was always very, like, uh, from a young age, I was always questioning, 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 continuing to question. So I was engaging with a with a skeptical foundation from uh, from quite a young age. And by the way, that's what I mean by skepticism. Simp the simplest, most colloquial way I can put it is separating from reality, just like you're trying to do, right? Like, like we're all, I, I think people who are engaging with a skeptical foundation if they're really engaging in skepticism, they're attempting to separate from reality. And I think I started doing that at a, at a very young age. And I, I found a deep interest in wanting to know what actually is going on as opposed to, cause I would hear adults sometimes talk about gods. And if a family member died and they'd be like, wow, they're in heaven. And then I would think about that and I'd be like, well, how do we know they're in heaven? It's like they died just like a squirrel died, just like an insect. And not that human beings are equal in importance to a squirrel, but we're a very special African ape. Uh, but but it's like, I see these things die. It's like, okay, their brain died. Brain death is death. Why is there this idea? And where do these ideas come from that there's something you know, outside of this life or a next life to move on to. So, so wrestling with these questions at, at a very young age, asking a lot of questions of my, my teachers, my, my parents, uh, my grandparents, my brothers. Were they religious? So, uh, no. So my dad was raised religious, um, but he left, he left home at quite a young age and, uh, and it, we weren't raised in any kind of religion or, or, uh, anything like that, but we were raised with the idea that, you know, if we were at a family member's place who who prayed before a meal or something like that, we would we would follow along and engage. And uh, and you know, even in some settings, I'm I'm even uh, I'm even willing to uh, you know play along with that if it if it, and because my moral foundation, just so you understand, is is simple. It's just maximize well being for myself and those around me. So if I, if I'm around like some really elderly members that would really be hurt. Uh, uh, family members that would really be hurt if I, if they saw that I wasn't engaging in their, you know, in their ritual uh, prayer, whatever, whatever religion or whatever it has to be before, before a meal. Um, I would, I would consider that. And, and, and in most cases, you know, go along with the, with the, uh, you know, on, on, from a scientific perspective, I would say delusion. Uh, but, but from a moralistic humanistic perspective, I would say, you know they're they're engaging with something that i don't think's been demonstrated but it's bringing them comfort in this moment so sometimes in situations like that my moral foundation will kick in and say you know what i'm going to go with this this time i think it's best for the the well-being of those around me so you didn't grow up religious your dad left his home at an early age yeah 
And, um, but it sounds like you grew up at least with, with a sense of respect for those around you, especially those who are believing and practicing things that you disagree with. But for you, you, you would say, it sounds like if I understand you rightly, the moral thing to do is not to, not to cause them harm or, or go against what you perceive to be their well-being by countermanding that, contradicting that. Yeah. So, care? so, uh, and I should clarify that in some settings I would challenge, of course, uh, it's not, it's not that you shouldn't challenge, uh, unsubstantiated claims or beliefs. It's just, I'm, I'm just pointing out some instances where my 98 year old grandma, great grandmother oh, yeah, right. may have been sitting at the table and she's saying a prayer and she's deeply engaged in what I think is actually artistic inspiration, but she believed is a combination of artistic and scientific inspiration, the is and the ought. But yeah. I think she was just uh, wrestling with the artistic inspirational powers of the the ought, and and that's coming out in this in this prayer improvisation of prayer. Um, so so you know, and and I, and I and I do see a lot of artistic beauty in that. Mm. Uh, it's not it's not all like I think a lot of atheists out there get so f triggered that they can't they can't find like artistic beauty in like. A Christmas song about Jesus or something like that, mm. and I I play them every Christmas, and a lot of people would think that you know, Travis Bangman, that you you're going against atheism. Well, it's like no, I'm not. Atheism is a very specific thing that has no dogma, no tenets, no nothing. It it's apolitical. It's just simply the rejection of the the positive God claims. So, so okay. So, um, when did you? You know, given your background and and you know, interest in well-being, and it's I heard you mention science a couple of times as well as art. I know you're an artistic guy. Um, tell me about when did you decide to take your atheism, your rejection of positive God claims, as you put it, and turn it into the uh, the, the organization, the the Pangburn brand. What, well, I think why, I don't think. That? Yeah, I, I think the Pangburn brand and the slogan for Pangburn is "Let Art and Science Inspire." Mm -hmm. So, so one of the key goals of Pangburn is to provide sources of artistic and scientific inspiration for uh, to to inspire people to think about new ideas, uh, uh, think about engaging more with each other in 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 discussions and showing people. And this is the reason for the live event. Uh, the live events is to give examples of how discussions ought to be carried out. Mm -hmm. And, and even in instances where you fundamentally disagree, it's like right today, it's become colloquial to, for someone to say, uh, if you voted Trump off and get out of my life or something like that, uh, like, like there's some kind of virtue attached to that, like this should, should be viewed as a virtuous thing. No, it, it, whatever happened to being able to sit down with the people that you have different political ideas uh, from and have a conversation about it. It's like, sit down, engage in the conversation. Oh no, we disagreed with who we voted for and we disagreed on certain aspects. Um, but, but but people take this, and, and I call it all social extremism under this umbrella, people take this social extremism so far that they find themselves bashing in the head of an innocent person on the side of the street with a rock because of their political radicalization, their, their inability to not be, you know, engage in social extremism, like, like sit back and have a conversation. So, so this is, this is part of a pain burn. And of course, like you brought up, 
I wouldn't say Pangburn is about atheism or anything like that, but it's it's definitely uh, definitely some of the big conversations that are important to people. As you know, uh, most of the people on this planet believe in some kind of deity, uh, uh, you know, some kind of God figure. And I'm sure you would say that many of them got it wrong, and I'm sure they'd say the same thing about you. Yeah. But um, uh, and and I would just ask you to go one God further and use that same reasoning on your own God. Oh, but don't give me that. Don't <laughs> give me that. that. That shows such, Travis, respectfully, that shows such a fundamental misunderstanding about the difference between theism and atheism. But uh, before we get well, there. Well, although, although real quick, it, you have to um, understand a lot so, of people just would. So you're aware, Mike, kids do listen to this so if you could refrain from profanity it's going to save me having to go back okay, okay. And, and beep it later be, on the podcast i'll do my best because i'm i'm usually used to being in settings where totally I'm understood, totally my, understood. Uh, my well, full breadth. yeah sure so okay so let's get into some of the the uh ideas because you as you were speaking i i heard a couple of things um for you, it seems like the two alternatives are atheism versus positive theism or belief in in any kind of deity. And you would lump all of any belief that that posits uh, a deity or, or transcendent transcendent figures, I suppose, or maybe a sort of a transcendent metaphysic on one side, and then atheism and skepticism would be on the other. Is that fair? Well, we would we would say that we would categorize those claims like even if it was someone making up a new god like i believe in the cloud god yeah the uh, spaghetti a lot of people, or whatever a lot of people may not if they make that up they might not call it theism but we would probably put it in the theistic category because the cat category uh exists um but i i and and i wouldn't make the claim that all theism uh makes equal claims or anything like that because there's a lot of diversity in the in the art uh in the narrative um so uh you know i i just take it as they come man it's like uh, i'm ready for people to make claims and demonstrations uh for why they believe something and if and if they're gonna say uh give faith as a reason i'm gonna say well my definition of faith is you know believing or get the excuse you give for believing something when you have no good reason to give how did you come up with that definition of faith well, it's it's kind of in a collection. I know Matt Matt Dillahunty uh, uses that one. It's uh, I've I've seen a few philosophers throughout history use those those kind of those same tones, but I think it's a really good one. Um, I because uh, because when someone typically when you ask someone why do you believe that you know the Earth revolves around the sun, uh, people don't say faith. I have faith. It does. Be like no, we measured it, and here's the here's the citations, here's the scientific journals, uh, peer reviewed, and um, and so so we give reason, we give reason, uh, but but in the faith realm, it's like instead of giving reason, like we give uh, to to you know substantiate our beliefs, people will say faith, and then I'm like, well, faith just seems to be an excuse, an excuse you give for for believing something when you have. So no you've heard people say that legitimately, like. You've asked them why are you a Christian or or why do you believe in God and they'll just simply say faith as an thousands thousands an answer okay yeah. so for you you would see that kind of faith Christian faith in particular or at least included as being uh, unsubstantiated well it's it, it, yeah unsubstantiated and I would say uh, uh, um, delusional if you're believing something 
uh, it, just based on faith, I, I see that as delusion and you, and you ought not do that. You should believe things, uh, about reality when, when it comes to is claims about reality, we use the scientific, uh, method to demonstrate what is going on in, in reality. Yeah. And, and so, so, yeah. sorry, no, go ahead. No, the, the, that's fine. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned science again and you know, one thing that, that, um, quite honestly puzzles me about self-professed atheists um, is it seems like there's oftentimes this misconception that atheism and science kind of go hand in hand. And, you know, so on the one hand, um, an atheist such as yourself or, or someone else will say, you know, atheism has no tenets. Uh, atheism is not really a worldview. It's simply, it's either, as you put it, the rejection of positive God claims or else uh, I've heard it described as, you know, lack of belief in God. Although I did a debate recently with an atheist who says, you know, I actually believe that God does not exist. Um, my, uh, my puzzlement though often comes when an atheist who, um, an atheist will see science then as sort of being coherent or um, a natural accompaniment of sort of his atheistic worldview. So I yeah, can tell so, you why. But yeah, and that that's what puzzles me because when I think about science, you know, I think about the presuppositions that give rise to science, like belief in induction, belief in logic, belief in mathematics, uniformity in nature. Yeah. And it's it, like, yeah. it's like you know, those things uh, they go perfectly well with the Christian worldview, but they don't go well with non-Christian worldviews, particularly with with atheism. So, could you explain that? Yeah. So those presuppositions you just brought up, we use them in in the scientific method because they work. Uh, they, they just, we can, they make predictions. Uh, they, they tell it, they, they, they measure and tell us exactly what's going on in reality yeah. because we can, you know, we could build models to, to, for our theories to, to demonstrate that, uh, which, what's going on. Right. So, which, which so, fits in line perfectly with, with Christian theism, obviously the idea of uniformity in nature that a model today would be able to predict something about the future, but given atheism, uniform uniformity in nature is, is just evidence of uniformity in nature. If you want to call it that you, you can't, you can't just well, smuggle a, a God in there. I'm sorry. You can't smuggle a God because you see uniformity in nature. Uh, why don't you just say, Oh, look, there's uniformity in nature. That's not evidence positive for a God. No, right. Um, no, that's not the move that's being made. Um, oh, okay. A, uh, Uniformity in nature is a presupposition that you bring to the table before you start your scientific in inquiry. No, so, it's, it's actually not. You don't have to do that. Well, you you have to assume that the for the scientific method to be a thing, you have to assume that uh, the laws of nature and the the process of scientific inquiry, the scientific method of testing a hypothesis, and you know the idea of repeatable results that that's going to obtain, you know, that that's going to persist into the future. The problem is we don't have any direct experience with the future. And so to presuppose that the future will be like the past, which is what uniformity in nature says, you have to assume that there's a reliability or a faithfulness that's baked into the cosmos, which, you makes, don't, good sense in a, which makes good sense in a, a Christian scheme but it doesn't how does that make sense in an atheistic scheme so, so it, it, well there is no atheistic scheme oh, i'm uh, sorry I, in, in, in your yeah, world yeah. It's, so so it's like, God, it's like we, it's like we try we try the scientific method we try to figure out you know the things that we can rub together to make fire better <laughs> and then yeah. we 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 and then that 
And then if you you and then if you accept that as say the governing scientific model for for how to start a fire, it's not claiming that it will always be the case that this is going to be this way. What it's just it's just simply saying that this this is a working model. We will upgrade it if we have more evidence that comes along, or if we create things like lighters, igniters of of some kind. Uh, we will we will upgrade this if if. Uh, as as things come along but science isn't making claims about the future like this is this is 100% we are 100% certain that this uh method um will will continue to be the best method going forward it's simply yeah. that the, the science is about giving the best answer based on the evidence that's available yeah so more evidence might come available that that's going to change things right certainly yes that's that's the nature of science and that's the beauty of science is the ability to test a hypothesis and then to test it again and then to test it again and so on and so forth and until you develop a theory upgrading yeah. yes yeah absolutely right um but think about what that presupposes though travis so it it assumes that you so to, to even begin that kind of scientific inquiry you have to already believe that that your truth-seeking faculties are aimed at actually um, it meaningfully interacting with the universe and gathering data, and that you have reason which can interpret that data, and that there are rules in the in the cosmos, invisible, immaterial laws that actually govern the whole experience, like logic, mathematics. And now these are things that we understand a priori. And it turns out, and this was something that awed Einstein, as I'm sure you know, the the a priori knowledge we have like mathematics which is what einstein was talking about um correspond and they map perfectly onto the world so we can do things like science but that also is typical of a universe that's not governed by random chance or um by uh you know godless materialism it's it actually really only makes sense if you start with the presupposition that God exists and that he thinks logically and he thinks mathematically and, and he created the world and our faculties to correspond to one another. So have, have you ever interacted with that idea before? What does that make so, sense? So why, so why, uh, why would you presuppose that? And uh, like, why would you presuppose the Christian God and not Zeus? Well, because the Christian God is the, the true God Zeus. Well, that's not evidence of anything. Just saying it isn't. No, no, anything. no. Well, we haven't even begun to talk about evidence yet. But you asked me, why do I presuppose the Christian God? So the Christian God, if you start with with the God, the true God, the triune God who's revealed Himself in Scripture, if you start from that fundamental metaphysic that God is ultimately real and that everything else is contingent, uh, created by Him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When you start with that, you can then reason your way out into the world and lo and behold, hey, my mind corresponds pretty well to the world. Not only can I gather information, but the math and the logic that I have in my mind, look, I actually see it reflected out in, in creation. Except for prayer. Well, right right now you're asking me, don't change the subject. Right now we're- No, but I'm saying, you know, I'm bringing up like, you're saying it gives you this this way of operating that seems to work, and then, but, but then you have yourself praying well, over- depends on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, but, but prayer hasn't been demonstrated to do a damn thing outside of placebo. So right now, before we talk about prayer, we're, we're talking about why presupposing God instead of Zeus makes better sense. 
Sure. I, but I brought that up because you were talking about how, you know, this presupposition of God uh, has you feeling like you're really uh, in tune with what's going on. No. Well, no, pres- presupposing the, the God revealed in Christianity, or I should say in the Bible, that was the fundamental belief that sparked the scientific revolution. I mean, that's that's why no non-Christian civilization had anything like the scientific revolution. Even despite all their mathematical advances, even despite their inventions, there was nothing like the scientific revolution because Newton and Brahe and these guys understood that God, the God revealed in scripture, created the universe in an orderly way and created us to interact with that world in a meaningful way. And so how did you know, they understand that if there's no demonstration though? Well, it was revealed in scripture. So when you when you begin with that presupposition, you can reason your way out into the world and science becomes possible. Scientific revolutions become possible. Um Zeus, now this is just my long-winded way of getting back to your original question about Zeus. Um Zeus is a contingent being. Zeus is not an ultimate being. Uh, even in the How do you know? Well, I'm, Zeus is a concept, you know, developed by ancient pagans. Originally, it well, was uh, Baal, Baal, you know, the the Canaanite deity, and then he evolved over time as a concept and became uh, Zeus, and then whatever the whoever the Roman equivalent of that was. But even in the ancient pagan worldview, there's nothing about Zeus that um, says that he exists necessarily, or that he's a grounding for logic or mathematics. Okay, so completely. Completely different concept entirely from if Zeus, the Lord. If the claims written down said that Zeus was the 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 rightful god, or let's say there was some some scripture unveiled uh, later on, let's say in 2021, that they found that Zeus is actually the the prime mover, the number one. Uh, are you going to drop your Christian faith and jump over there? No. Why? Because that's not the Christian God. So see, so so wait a sec. You just said I won't do it because it's not the Christian God. But you're willing to throw in your lot with these Bronze Age peasants that claim to be divinely inspired and wrote down the story uh, of uh, that in the in the scriptures, the yeah. Bible. Yes, that's correct. So why why do you believe that they were divinely inspired? Well, um, first of all, because the Bible tells me so. Um, oh man. Yeah, you can't just believe what words on a page. Uh, no, no, you can't. Is claimed you're right. reality. You're right. You, you can't just begin with. Um, you you can't just believe everything that's written on a page. Absolutely correct. But um, again, when you start with the Bible as a as a coherent worldview, and the and the Bible, the biblical worldview is unique in the sense that it does within the pages of Scripture, it does present a complete coherent worldview, and. I disagree. Well, uh, blasphemy oh, is punishable by death. Cheaters must die dishonoring your mother or father. No, there's there might be moral dictates that you disagree with, but the Bible itself does it. It has uh, a, a coherent metaphysic, a coherent ontology, anthropology, morality, ethics. It's all contained within the pages of Scripture. And it, so, it's, it's actually not, man. I uh, like it's he, the the Bible does not give you. A moral system. Yahweh doesn't give you a moral system. He just makes moral pronouncements like a mob boss would. It doesn't, it, it's not, it's like it's it, a mob boss would say, these are the things we don't do. And these are the things you do do. And if you do, if you don't, you know, if you break these rules, you know, there's hell to pay. So what, like, I don't, I don't why see that, that wrong as a moral system. Sorry. Why is that wrong for the mob boss to do that? Uh, well, because I have a subjective 
a moral foundation, just like I think you do, um, that tells me that uh, that is against maximizing well-being for myself and those around me. Uh, if that if that mob boss decides to to do something that is, uh, you know, not in the best interest of his subjects' well-being. Okay, so based on your arbitrarily selected standard of well-being, as you interpret it, the mob not arbitrary. What's that? It's not arbitrary, but it's it's subjective. No, it's a, so so it so subjective. the system. You're you're right that the system itself is subjective, but well-being. When I say well-being, I'm I'm talking about the well-being that we measure in the hospital and in this in the, in the in the lab. Okay, so again, we're we're already presupposing that science is possible, but I'll tell you why the what? mob boss is. Come on, man! Science si is possible. Si science is possible. Yes, si it, that's I, not a presupposition. It's a demonstrated fact. It's it's the way we come to facts. The 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 possibility of scientific inquiry is bound up with again with induction, with uniformity in nature, with logic and mathematics, which are presuppositions that make sense given an immaterial, universal, absolute God, like the God of the Bible. In fact, only the God of the Bible. But the 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 problem with the mob boss is the mob boss is not God. The mob boss is um, a contingent being who does not have that kind of authority. It'd be the same thing, by the way, if you or I or or some saint, saintly person were to start making arbitrary, subjective moral pronouncements. Um, we're not endued with that kind of authority well the pope does it the pope is wrong i'm no fan of the pope okay uh, yeah but but the but, but the pope thinks he's right and all the pope followers think he's right and they disagree with you so why do you think you have the source of the correct uh, answer and information where, where they think you don't and the westboro baptist church by the way right. thinks you don't right uh, again so the so the pope and westboro and yourself and myself when we go against scripture we, we, uh, what we're trying to do is this, we're attempting to assert that our subjective minds are capable of absolute and universal, not only knowledge, but, um, but making decrees about the way the universe ought to be. And so, uh, you know, to use your statement earlier, as an, as an example, you, said that your morality was, um, it sort of revolved around the principle of well-being. Um, to Maybe you could just, again, real quick, define what do you mean by well-being? Sure. It's the, well -be it's the same well-being that, uh, that doctors are, uh, are forced to adhere to uh, in the hospital. So basically, you go to the hospital, if a doctor showed up and said, my idea of well-being is smacking a patient in the face to no uh, knock some sense into them. Uh, the, 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 the scientific method is going to kick in and scientific consensus and say that's not a good way to, to treat a patient. Uh, and, and as well as, you know, I'm going to just give, give this, this, this patient who's suffering, who has, uh, you know, uh, symptoms of schizophrenia, I'm going to give them candy and send them on their way. Right. Uh, because that's best for their well-being. And then that's when the, the other uh, experts and professionals, and, and again, coming from the scientific consensus, will say, uh-uh, that's not, that's not demonstrated to be able to uh, increase their well-being in, in, a, in a constructive way in this setting. So when I talk about well-being, I'm talking about well-being that can be demonstrated scientifically. Um, and then uh, because it's a subjective 
uh, system that you're going to find, you know, with moral moral systems, you're going to find these uh, paradoxes or or moral issues where sometimes you're going to have to make a choice based on taste if the outcomes are equal. Um, but, but that that's all part of the the subjective moral system as well. Yeah. So you're you're speaking like someone who believes that human beings are special. And you mentioned that earlier that we're special African apes, but, but now yeah, we're we are in, that, have, in that sense. Yeah. And, and that we have a certain, there's a certain dignity to us that we actually have rights. Do you believe that? Yeah. Well, well again, and I think, I think rights, this, this concept of rights comes from our, uh, our wrestling match with what ought to be. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's been the realm of philosophy since we ever decided that, you know, we ought not to be able to just go and kill that child over there because, you know, this person's the king or whatever. Oh, are or you just pro-life? Over... Sorry? Are you pro-life? Pro-life. Oh, what do you mean uh, by... Anti-abortion. What do you mean by that? Anti-abortion? Uh, no. So at, at 20, uh, before 24 weeks, uh, the mother, if she wants to go on a, on a pleasure cruise, instead of having this kid, go get an abortion, uh, whatever you want. Um, that's sick. And, and then after, and then that's after, sick. uh, that, uh, after the pain neuron delivery system starts working after 24 weeks, absolutely not. It's a, it's a, um, it's a partnership between the mother and the fetus to, uh, carry it to term. Listen, I'm, I'm with you on the after 24 weeks thing, but what you just showed, Travis, was where um, where the idea of an autonomous or subjective morality based on man-made um, standards eventually leads. And so because you've, you know, be, essentially, if you fail to acknowledge the fact that man is made in the image of God and is therefore possessing of dignity and and inherent rights from conception yeah you end up justifying things like killing a child up to 24 weeks in the womb it's not Based a child well yeah it's it a is. potential child what's that it's a potential child it's not no, a, child. It's a child so is that's it? so that's a that's a mistake that religious people make they they look at a a, a very simple collection of things that might one day become the next mm. president or world leader that'll change the world and that's all fine and dandy to look at it. But you also have to look at the, the experience of, of women and, and potential mothers. And, yeah. uh, and things, things happen with, uh, you know, uh, with sex that can't, can't you know, you, you can't go back and change uh, a condom breaking or whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then, and then I, I, I don't see any problem with, uh, with a uh, woman executing the preg pregnancy before. I know. And that, that, so Travis, that's exactly my point. This is where man-made morality leads. Um, redefining human lives as, as potential, potential lives. Now that's, that's not nope. an argument for biblical that's morality not, based not on redefining human lives based on outcome. I don't, I don't view it as a human. I view it as a potential human life uh, up until yeah. the 24 week. Yeah. And that's an arbitrary standard, which, Giving your well, yeah, sure. It's a it's it's not arbitrary. It's not a it's a it's a subjective moral standard. Yeah. So so this is this is the difference, and this is why. Well, it's it's a good demonstration, Travis, of how the biblical worldview. Um, when you start with it, you you get a um, a consistent, clear, and coherent moral system that uh, you don't get a system. You well, you do if you yeah if you follow the biblical worldview. Yes. 
it, you do. They're moral pronouncements, man. It's a, it's it claims to be an objective uh, uh, objective system coming yeah. down from top down morality, and it's just that's not a system. It doesn't it doesn't it, like it, how do you like how what do you, you derive a system from from uh, scripture? I'm sorry. Well, one more time. How did you derive a system from scripture? Well, you, you start in Genesis and you work your way through and pretty soon you get to Revelation. So the difference between your example about the mob boss or or even what you're doing in terms of um, coming up with with moral pronouncements or moral principles that that one seem best to you. And I understand, you know, you have your reasons for them, which um, are are subjective and uh, objective what I would see objectively speaking are quite insufficient. Um, and I say that respectfully, obviously I'm a Christian. Like I, I believe. And why do you think they're insufficient? Well, because all human beings are made in the image of God and biblically speaking, as well as scientifically and philosophically speaking, life begins at conception. So for you to sentence um, all the population, all the human population prior to 24 weeks to potential death is immoral. That's murderous. And I understand given an atheist, uh, an atheistic uh, starting point, you know, you're not going to see that, but, um, well, but the, most God, of the world is starting to, to, to think that, you know, that abortions fine up to that point. You realize this, right? Is that an argument from ad populum? No, I'm saying, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what you think about that shift happening. Is it a failure of, of the Christian God to deliver the proper message? Or is it just like hedonists taking over? Um, man, people have been sinning since Adam and Eve. <laughs> so, like, why, why do you and I, why, why are you and I gonna, you know, get, get so off? So, how the do you know and do something sin. we know we shouldn't do? Yeah. Well, how do you know it's a sin tomorrow or the next day? How do you know abortion's a sin? Because the Bible tells me so. It doesn't tell you that abortion is a sin. Yes, the Bible in the Bible absolutely does. The Bible, uh, I've actually that's actually a common misconception of athe uh, of atheism. Sorry, I've Atheist? found that many atheists have that misconception, but the Bible is a pro life book. So where does it say that abortion? Exodus twenty one, where it talks about if uh, a woman Exodus is of slavery, isn't it? I'm sorry, isn't Exodus twenty one slavery? Is Exodus twenty one the slavery? I mean, uh, uh, sanction sanctions of of slavery. You can. Uh, You'd have to give me chapter and verse. But in Exodus in Exodus twenty one, it talks about um, if two men are are fighting with one another and a pregnant woman is struck and her chi her child is born prematurely. In other words, comes out. Um, whatever injury the child has suffered is. Um, that this is where Lex Talionis comes from, the principle of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's to be, um, that that whatever happened to the child is supposed to happen to the man who, who injured the child. So if the child's eye is destroyed, the man's eye gets destroyed. If the child dies, the man gets uh, killed. And the reason for that is because the child in the womb is a human being. It's a, not a potential child, not a potential human, but a, a human with full dignity and with, uh, your God didn't say that. God. Your God didn't say that. He just, he just gave you an eye for eye, eye for an eye rule. He didn't say that that's, that's a human being. No, you, for that, we have to apply the, um, analogia fide, the analogy of faith, which says scripture interprets scripture. So you go back to 
Genesis 127, it says God made man in his image. And then you go to Genesis, I believe, 9, where God says, whoever sheds the blood of man, from man his blood shall be required. That's the institution of the death penalty for murder. And then you see that penalty applied in the case of Which is a child moral. being killed. And then you you can factor in, I've written quite a bit on this, you can factor in uh, Psalm 139, which talks about how um, God knit David together in his womb, and David doesn't say, you know, he David talks about himself as being in the womb. In other words, there's an ontological continuation from the womb to David the man writing the psalm. So the now I know you disagree with the biblical worldview, but you can't say the biblical worldview is pro-abortion or um, uh, pro pro-choice. Well, I, 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 I don't think there is a pro or either way. I think the the right answer is is uh, actually just just looking at the human condition and coming up with a law and and system that that satisfy satisfies the dilemma of the unwanting uh, you know potentially young young mother or the uh, you know, on the other side of, there's a reason why we view uh, uh, abortions with disdain. We don't like them because we understand that this was a potential uh, person. Um, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> obviously, I know. I know you believe that. Um, here's a here's a difficulty that. Um, so, what you're describing, I I, I dare say. And I, again, I say this respectfully, Travis, but I, I think your view on abortion is is clear, and I think, um, qu quite quite frankly, uh, I believe it's clear which moral system respects the inherent dignity given to human beings um, from conception straight on through to natural death. Um, th that being said, the... Um, the principle of well-being, I'm, I'm curious as to why, you know, so for you, well-being means a certain thing, and well-being does not include having your life snuffed out in the womb, but... Um, no, because they're not they're not a person yet. Travis, you used to be a, a person in the womb. You used no, to be a I was a potential person. You, but the, the thing is, there was nothing... There was nothing at 24 weeks that caused you to come into being. There's an ontological continuation between you and... And, yeah, it's. I, I think yourself however many years ago when you. Yeah, I think that's where the 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 pleasure drive basically uh, starts, based on the the pain neurons being able yes, to but, deliver. But our ability to feel pleasure or pain is not what makes us persons. What makes us persons, again, if if you begin with the presupposition that the Bible is true, what makes us persons is we're created in the image of God. You get human rights. You get human dignity. The the challenge you don't. Well, you don't you do you, you get anti homosexual tenants. Excuse me. Yeah, anti-homosexual tenants. Uh, if a, if a man layeth with a man, as a man layeth with a woman, he shall be stoned to death. That is immoral bullshit, and okay. it exists in the book. And that's uh, and that's your that's your subjective opinion. The problem is, no, it's not. A, I, can, I can actually demonstrate how that is scientifically uh, antithetical to the well-being of homosexual people. Sure. So you're if you appeal to science. Again, we, we have to presuppose certain things in order for science to be a thing. We have to presuppose the in, induction. And, and you know, you said something earlier and somebody brought it well up. If you're dead. That's my point. What, what's that? You can't be well if you're dead. Uh, and there's all of, these, all of these laws that, 
that tell people uh, people who work on Sunday should be killed, dishonoring your mother or father yeah. is punishable by death. All this, all this stuff. There's nothing wrong with slavery. It's just this stuff is immoral. Well, actually, man stealing and enslaving was um, punishable by death as well. the The problem that the problem where we're going to hit an impasse, Travis, is this. Um, I believe that that morality is as real as mathematics. In other words, um, I believe that human beings have inherent dignity. I believe that you are created in the image of God and that you have inherent dignity. Not only that, but there's a reason why, just as you expect me to take your statements um, logically. In other words, you don't expect me to believe that you mean the exact opposite of what you're saying, because I know you believe in logic and at least I assume so. And I expect you to, you know, view, uh, to listen to me logically. You might not agree with what I'm saying, but you're not going to uh, interpret it nonsensically or something like that. No. Sure. And I'm, and I'm going to treat you as though you are telling me what you actually believe. Correct. Yes, exactly. So, um, in the same way, m morality, there's a parallel between morality and logic in that what you're, what you're dealing with is principles that are immaterial. And I don't know if you're a materialist or not, um, absolute universal and knowable and equally ultimate unknowable. No, no, knowable and knowable. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah no, not, not unknown. No, definitely. No, no, what do you mean by ultimate? Uh, equally ultimate in the sense of like the laws of logic. Um, the, if, if we are living in a matrix simulation, which, which by the way, is uh, more plausible than than us living under a, a, a magical god. No, it's not. Uh, but, but if we are, yeah, it is because we can actually build miniature versions of what these simulations would actually be like. Um, but uh, and the fact that we can do them gives us a demonstration of how it could be done in principle. But if we were living in a, in a matrix uh, simulation and the matrix controller decided to make your logical statement that you feel so uh, sound about that all triangles have three sides. Um, as soon as that statement is uttered, the matrix controller could actually step back in time and, and change the rule of logic or change it as soon as you say that. So, so because of this reason, I don't think it's it's philosophically sound to, or, or from a belief standpoint, to believe that we can be one hundred percent about one hundred percent certain about really anything. There's one there's one well, there's one potential thing, uh, but but let's not get into that. That's my second book uh, thing. But cool. um, uh, but but yeah. So so this idea of of trying to escape feeling like you need to escape presuppositions uh, by presupposing gods or presupposing anything. No, not gods. Don't, don't misrepresent what I'm saying. Not gods. I'm not talking about Zeus again. Well, I'm saying gods cause you, you it's pot. Okay. Let me just ask you this. This is my fundamental wait, question. Wait, 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 real is quick before possible, you do. Is it possible that you are wrong? Uh, no, not about ah! this. Dude, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Anyway, you asked, and I'm, I'm happy to justify that, but wait a minute. Okay. First of all, the, the simulation idea. Um, we aren't living in a simulation. Uh, I've done work on I this. It's a it's there's it's a long story, but essentially, if we were living in a simulation, first of all, um, for you to say you just said something. I mean, I would love to unpack this more, maybe in another episode. But you seem to indicate that you you believe that if we are in a simulation, time or temporality 
and logic would both be somehow mutable or, or changeable by the controller of the simulation. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a, you know, time idea. What's that? Yeah, time is relative, but it's still real. Um, yeah, yeah, no, but 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 if t time was part of the system that we're living in, the, it, just like if you're creating a Sims game, you could go in there and mess with the time. Yeah, but you but you you can't. Uh, well, okay, look, look, look. That that's that's a uh, got you there. That, that's another thing. <laughs> but the the idea that if we're living the long and short of it is if we're living in a simulation we would have a defeater for all of our beliefs including the belief that we're living in a simulation so the the if that's we were not, living that's in a, not true yes it it, it is no, because, because science science would be the best method in that case because even though uh the it, this model you build might be the best model to explain based on demonstration that we have so far you're not necessarily saying that the matrix controller is isn't going to come along and just like ax that and make it not work anymore because it, it it's possible but not plausible but, i'm just my, my point is that like anything's possible except for you except you say that it's not possible that you're wrong wait a second wait a second you asked you asked me for a yes or no so i gave you the i gave you the no sure. um put a pin in the simulation and actually if somebody wants to go and look this up on my website thethink.institute if you search for are we living in a simulation and simulation theory debunked um and then there's another one about uh matrix and metaphysics something else um there's articles by myself parker said case and um uh, uh someone else and um anyway it's it, it's fascinating stuff but I don't think it's necessarily, uh, I think we're going to get very far afield if we go that route. I'm just saying it's possible, not plausible. If, That's all uh, I'm well, okay. <laughs> if, if, if we were living in a simulation, we couldn't be Sims. That We couldn't have qualia. We couldn't have an experience of what it's like to be. How do you know? Because, the sim, <laughs> because qualia is something that only, oh, good grief, man. Qualia is, is um, not something that can be replicated first person experience is bound up with personhood and it's not experienceable by Sims. It's like, what if we're characters in somebody else's dream? My first person experience itself negates that. See, that's, but, a, the, uh, but that's a different claim, right? Oh, but yes. Uh, right. But it's, it's, a, it's a similar qual. It's a similar category of claim. The idea is you're talking about something that can't have qualia first person experience having first person experience. And it's not, it's, it's, there's no, it's a category error. We can't be Sims. Sims are, anyway, Sims are, inter the, the, the movement and action of Sims is interpreted in There's a lot of AI, a, a, artificial intelligent uh, uh, scholars and scientists who would disagree with uh, I think many that, things. I think, that it's debated. I think that there's people who would disagree with anything, but uh, again, that's, uh, that's something we can. You just don't want to be an AI, AI uh, entity, but you might be. <laughs> my my wanting to be or not has nothing to do with my belief in that. Mm. Um, but but again, getting back to science and morality, um, Travis, what do you do when someone says, uh, "I don't believe in in well being. I believe, um, you know, I believe that well being is actually a bad category of morality." Uh, <laughs> you know, and 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 shame on you for saying that. All of our laws in the West are based on well being. I don't know that you want to go down that road. 100%. Uh, I'll go down that road. Road. You you want to make a historical argument? 
well, I'm saying I'm talking about current laws uh, right now they, that they seek to maximize the well-being of the people. That's and and of course you can you can look at instances where it's like oh it it wasn't doing that but sure. in general they thought that they were doing yeah it. but that's that's not where I'm going first of all abortion is is legal in all fifty states in in the United States and I believe in all the provinces of Canada so yeah. the idea of uh, of well being really goes out the window with that so one. If a woman so if a woman gets gets raped at age fourteen and gets pregnant uh, they can go get an abortion yeah I don't believe in punishing the children of rapists. Yeah, because you're calling you're calling this 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 small collection of cells uh, a person. Yes, I'm call and you're a large collection of cells, and I'm calling you a person as well. Yeah, no, no, and but, I'd be against someone murdering it, you too. But but it's it's why can't you just call it a potential person? Because it's not a potential person. Yeah, it, it is. is. You just said it's not a potential person. It is, man. <laughs> it's not a potential person. It's a person. It's an actualized person. It's not a potential so, person. The so emphasis why there is we, why don't you think we count them on the census? Why don't you think we like why don't you name why don't you name them give them a label right at conception? Well, do you get your morality from the census? I I didn't say that the census was a moral authority. Correct. I'm I'm, I'm no, but I'm saying the, right the census is something where we count the amount of people on this planet. We're not counting them based on when 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 people are conceived. Well, we don't count them at 25 weeks either. And you want to assign 25 week old fetuses, uh, personhood. So that's not, yeah, really no, good no, 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 no. I I'm saying that after that, the, the, it's still a fetus, but that, but that fetus should fetus be given the opportunity. What's that? Fetus just means small child. But if you want to talk about the census, it doesn't you know, medicine. what's that? Fe La uh, right. But fetus is Latin for small child. Okay, but the, the, uh, it, whether it's a Latin, I'm, I'm talking about the usage, not the not the. Definition. Sure, but worldview worldview matters here, though, because when I say fetus, I'm meaning small child in the womb. You're meaning, you know, prior to 24 weeks, you're meaning clump of cells constituting a potential human being. Worldview really matters here. So for you to say, oh, but they don't count them on the census, it's like, look, you don't even take your your view of personhood well, from the census either. I, but, but do you think we should count them on the census? Like as soon as, as soon as a woman is pregnant? Well, what's the goal of, is the goal of the census to count born individuals? Because obviously not. It's to count people. The way it's conducted right now, as you said, it counts born individuals. So keep counting born individuals and then leave the debates about personhood to. That sounds know, so morbid. What talking reason. about. What's born. that? That's a, that's a funny uh, label, actually, born individual. Hi there. Nice to meet you. I'm a born individual. Born individual. Well, you know. <laughs> it's, got a, it's got a nice, like, uh, 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 what am I thinking of? Artists become jaded, jaded. It's got a nice jaded to life feel. Okay. Like yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it does. That's true. Um, so, so you know, we've, we've covered a lot of ground here. Um, where do you go? When someone says, and I, there's some questions that are coming in here too, and I want to respect your time as well. But um, when someone says, you know, Travis, well-being is not a very good standard. And and by the way, I disagree with your ideas about well-being and and really well-being's um, not good. In fact, what's what's really morally right is we should, we should um, you know, put the environment first. And so really what we need to do is we need to call the population down to 200 million people. And, and that's really the most moral thing to do. Yeah, how, that how would, do you respond to that? That would be antithetical to to the the well being of the people. Right, they don't believe in well being. Their well being. 
they don't believe in well-being yeah they don't think well-being is a good standard for morality. Well, then they shouldn't go to the hospital yeah they shouldn't that's fine <laughs> but, but how do you but you see if someone comes along and says i don't believe in well-being let, let's talk about canada if some parent if some parents are uh say i don't believe in uh well-being and i don't we don't apply well-being to our child yeah you you better believe that the Canadian government's going to be looking in uh, to that family to yeah. make sure that they are providing well-being for their child, or else as they're they going to take it away. As yeah. they should. Yeah. And, and as a Christian, of course, I have a basis for that. Um, the, but they're not talking about any. They're talking about measurable well-being, scientifically measurable, yes. the scientific standard for well-being, the right. same one used in the hospital and by doctors. So what you're doing though is you're taking a scientific standard. And you're applying it to morality. You're you're making yeah. this leap from is to ought. Nope, nope. It, it's not a leap. You have to leave it in the is. But you're you're using you're using uh, the is. Uh, you know the finding is of of the scientific method to help you with your moral decisions. And uh, mm -hmm. because we don't that's not because. Because or else you get people, or else you get people uh, sitting back, uh, re religious people with their kids saying, "I don't believe in dr blood transfusions," so we're going to say it would be against my child's well-being to get a blood transfusion. And thankfully, most governments are saying, uh, oh, I, "I'm not going to say what I want to say because you mentioned the profanity thing," but they're basically <laughs> saying, that. "They're basically saying f off. Uh, uh, your your child's going to get that blood transfusion. You okay. delusional, whatever." So and so, yeah, I got you. So, so what you're? It sounds to me, Travis, like I said. What do you say to somebody who says mm, uh, morality is not rooted in well-being, and we need to call the population? And your response is, yeah, but you know, hospitals or you know, yeah. but but parenting laws. What what I'm saying is, you're in this hypothetical situation. You, Travis Pangburn, are confronted with a hypothetical reality in which the prevailing view of society is we need to call the population down to 200 million people globally. Okay. Um, now, here's Travis Pangburn. You now have to give a um, a defense of your moral system. Yeah. And and you can no longer appeal to the fact that hospitals exist for well-being because in this hypothetical reality, hospitals don't. What is your what is your appeal made to? What by so what I would standard say, do you appeal? Yeah, so what so my moral mean? foundation wouldn't change. I would say uh, I I I believe that we should be maximizing well being for yourself and those around you. And when we're talking about this situation where people uh, uh, have this idea that we need to cull down to two hundred million, uh, I would view this as an immoral act. I stand against it because it is it stands against. The well-being of all those people uh, that would lose their lives because you can't be well if you're dead. So that's what that's what I would say. I'm I'm with you on that, but again, you haven't really given a defense of well-being. You've just said that that is not in accord with well-being. My question is, why is well-being yeah. your standard? Uh, oh, oh, you're too. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's a it's a it's a collection. I, I use the scientific method to help me with this, but it's a collection of, you know. This I this idea of of fairness, how the and this is how these things generally uh, uh, build, and and it also has to do with how we build our laws too. There's this there's this um, idea of fairness that comes from what I can what I can tell based on how the brain works, a selfish pleasure drive. We get pleasure 
out of seeing fairness in those around us, having others around us, having others around us that are feeling well and enjoying themselves, we find pleasure in that whole interact interaction and experience. So I would say in the, in the biological entity that I find myself in, it's pleasurable to me to help others and to make others feel well around me. And, and, and I think, uh, it, when I say maximize well-being for yourself and those around you, for some people, those around you is going to, they're only going to be able to handle at capacity their own families and maybe a, a few of their neighbors and extended families. But for me, with the kind of work I do and the kind of time I have to dedicate to this, I stretch out as far as I can with that. And well, that, and, and I, so basically my argument is because it's a pleasurable pursuit. Okay. And, and so as long as it's pleasurable, you'll pursue the well-being of others. Yeah. And, and then of course, sometimes we get psychopaths, uh, born who, uh, it, it's, it, they actually find a lot of psychopaths find it to be a pleasurable pursuit to harm others. Right. And, and, and this is, this is why with well-being, I talk about the scientific standard of well-being, uh, the same one that we use in the hospital. So is it, is it, is it, now it's a scientific standard of well. The, the scientific standard of well-being is what? Could you lay that out? Yeah. So basically, so basically, an emergency room uh, physician uh, uh, gets a gets a um, gets a patient come in where they lost their leg in a car accident. They're losing blood really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, there are scientific standards and steps to what he should take care of next yes in order to achieve the greatest amount of well-being for this patient while considering this in the moment include and also thinking about future implications uh, uh, for the well-being of this patient okay so i see i see what you mean then yeah when you say the scientific standard of well-being you're saying what science says medical science in in this example is the best way to pursue well-being sure okay so that still assumes again that still assumes that well-being is a standard so again in in, in the hypothetical situation I know, but, but i told you but i told you the reason why it, it it's not it's not assuming I'm, I'm saying that human beings in general so so here here are the presuppositions uh in general uh wellness is preferable to unwellness for everyone on this planet in general from, and I'm talking about from a, from, okay, let's say it this way. Sickness is less prefer preferable sure. than, than wellness, yeah. right? So, uh, life, so is generally, life is generally more preferable than death. So we are starting with, yes, uh, because these, these are subjective moral systems. We are starting with some presuppositions. And I think, which and, are this rooted in first book, and this is what my first book is about. And I think uh, it's all based on the pleasurable pursuits of our mind. See, Tra Travis, man, you, I know you're a philosopher. You, you've got to, if I may say this respectfully, I, you need to apply, you need to ask yourself the question why, and you need to go deeper with this because saying that it's rooted in pleasure, that, that is, again, respectfully, that's as vapid as someone's changing emotions from minute to minute. And you and I both, I'm confident in this. You and I both um, are would be 
very vexed and troubled by the increase in suicide that has occur occurred over the last eight to 10 months as the lockdowns have, have happened, right? So, you know, you or I and I would go to someone who's contemplating suicide and we would say, look, I know right now it might seem more pleasurable or less pleasurable to be alive than to be dead, but yes. you should not kill yourself. Now yes. that's an ought, that's an assertion of ought. Yep. At that moment, there is no appealing to the science, based on how you've defined uh, the scientific standard of, of um, well-being, there is no appealing to that. At that point, you need a transcendent reason why no, pleasure, no. pleasure, yes, is not the standard yep. for morality. Yes. Because he's going to go, no, the most pleasurable thing right now for me I, is to kill myself. Yes, and you're yep. going to go, and that's, don't and that's do it anyway because... That's why the pleasure drive has brought brought them there. But but what I would say is that, you know, in this situation, and you say science has nothing to say about this, but you're, you're no, just- No, 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 I didn't say science has nothing to say about it. Remember, science, I've, I'm a Christian, so science is integrated with my morality. So I believe science, um, the presuppositions, that the preconditions for science and the moral laws that govern the universe are both- uh, can, are, are both bound up with the mind and character of God. So for me, science and morality are very integrated. I don't, I don't separate the two of them, but go on. Yeah. Uh, but, but, uh, but I'm just saying in this situation, if I'm talking to the person who's, who, who it's a, you know, they're, they're uh, I believe their pleasure drive has brought them to that bridge or wherever they're standing, because I, I think people eventually die in these suicide situations because the pleasurable pursuit of death just becomes so thick that they can't escape it. And uh, so, so if I'm standing there with them, I would say there are, there is a way and we have the technology, we have the practice to get your mind to a place where you, to start, where it will start pursuing uh, modes of pleasure, moral modes of pleasure that will make you well, as opposed to lead to this final uh, pleasurable feeling here. Um, it's, and, and, you know, and, and outlining for them that, you know, you, you, there is no chance of wellness after death. It's like death when you die, it's like, you're, it's like, that's it. This is all we got here as far as we know. Um, so as far as, you know, as far as you say, I don't know that, but yeah, go on. Well, it's, it just, it hasn't been demonstrated otherwise. What we, what we understand is that brain death is death. It hasn't been demonstrated. It, it, what's been demonstrated is that brain death is death. The human being dies. In, in order to believe that, you have to believe that Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead. What? You don't well, have to think of Jesus at all. No, no. In order to believe your previous statement that, that this life is all we have, you have to believe that, that Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. Why would you believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Well, for one, the Bible tells me so. Oh, dude. Are you trolling? <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. But, but listen, as a, as a Christian, um, my, my starting, the foundation of my worldview is the solid truth of Scripture. And so the same Bible that gives me a basis for believing in things, in, in intangibles and abstract realities like math and logic, like the preconditions for scientific inquiry, is the same biblical worldview that tells me that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, I've written about the historical evidence that Jesus rose. Um, I've given those arguments. Um, I love those arguments. I love that evidence. But if you if you reject the if you reject the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have to reject the entire biblical worldview. And if you Why? do so, you 
because it's all bound up together as as a worldview. What about cultural Christians who like like Jordan Peterson who doesn't buy the reality that any of this stuff actually happened and that it's all a metaphor? Yeah, he's wrong. <laughs> he doesn't. That's not. A, <laughs> see, see, he he would say he's right in his interpretation. Right, right but only one of us can be right, right? Like, sure, the law of non-contradiction says, sure. or I should say, the law of excluded middle says only one of us can middle. be right yeah. if we contradict. Listen, I love Jordan Peterson's work. I I appreciate it. Um, you know, I've studied it. But the fact of the matter is, he gets to some very right conclusions based on some very wrong. He's an atheist, point. right? Correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I'm glad you agree with me because I've been saying this forever. I said it to him many times in person. I'm like, dude, you, 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 an atheist, brother. Well, uh, here's the thing. So, um, what, what I see in Jordan Peterson, and quite honestly, I see from you as well in terms of, you know, you're you've got a high moral sense. You just don't have a basis for where it unravels. Honestly, Travis is. Think of a think of a strand of yarn, and again, I say this respectfully. I don't mean any disrespect. No, a strand you of can yarn. Say whatever you want, man. Okay, all right. Make good. fun of my hair, whatever. I don't. No, care. no, no, I wouldn't do that. I, it's, <laughs> it's fine. It's better than the bird's nest I got going on up here. So the um, the you could have a strand of yarn where you could look at the middle of it and go, man, this is great. Lots of integrity. It's good. You could probably you know uh, knit something. I don't know, tie something with this. But imagine at the two ends of that yarn it's frayed and, uh, and, and falling apart. And, and if left unattended, the whole thing is going to unravel. That is, um, your view of morality and science. It looks great in the middle, but at the start and where it leads to it's frayed and falling apart. And if you're not careful, it's going to unravel the whole way. And I that's what you're, that. what's that? I don't see, I, I don't see that it, it, it's not complete on either end. I, I, I realize that. And that's, I'm trying to explain a little bit, um, and it probably would take more time than we have, but this is why, like, we'll, you know, we'll just have, have to have another conversation. I, I think we should, I, I would love that. Um, but this is why you can affirm what sounds like human dignity, human rights, and then deny those human rights to a child who's 23 weeks in the womb. It's like, no, man, like I'm going to win you over. You're going to be, but you're going to be singing the praises of abortion clinics by the time now, we're through. Now, in order to do that, you would have to go back in time and change the Bible. And it's not, you know, not possible. Yeah, but, but you, here's the thing. If the Bible, if I did go back and do that and you had the knowledge uh, uh, that you have now, let's see if I can set this hypothetical up. Good luck. <laughs> would you, would you, would you be so ingrained with the idea that, or, or here's, a, here's another thing too. If Jesus presented himself to you and said that, you know, I think Travis was right in this conversation. Um, is that is that enough evidence uh, for you to kind of change change your view? You know, at that point, I'd wonder what the heck was in my my uh, lunch that I had. I'm glad you said that because yeah. we have people around the world who have killed their children because they think that Jesus appeared before them and told them that yeah. they need to sacrifice their children. We, listen, people believe all kinds of crazy things. I, I know people who believe that human beings evolved from monkeys or ape-like ancestors. So believe it or not, some, on, people, believe that. some people believe that. <laughs> It's crazy, I know, but some people you do. Believe monkeys that. share a common ancestor, and we are we like. Do you some not? See, who, oh, you do you not oh, see no. yourself in a chimp? What's that? Do you not see yourself in a chimp? Do I no? Do I see myself in a in a beast? Or a you beast? don't even think we evolved from chi from chimps? No, men are not. No, beasts. Well, no, we we have a common ancestor, but uh, but oh, we have a common creator. Oh man. Uh, well, Again, that's a weird one. So, do you think is so so all of Orthodox Christianity for the last? So we have more. Years. So we have more collection of evidence uh, uh, to demonstrate 
you know, the, the theory of evolution than we do for the theory of gravity. Um, so I, if you say like, science, you actually but still believe you believe in neo-Darwinian evolution, honestly, of course, uh, like, uh, I'm going to give you about uh, five years by natural selection. Like, I'm going to give you about five years on that. Let's talk again. I want to talk again before that, but <laughs> I legitimately speaking, and I'm not, uh, this isn't, I'm not trying to slam dunk on you or whatever. I'm going to give that belief five years. And I want to talk to you again in five years because uh, even the Royal Society of London in 2017 admitted that it's a defunct theory. This it's not exactly a collection of young earth creationists. So Richard Dawkins is wrong. Uh, that would be the implication of that. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Uh, anyways, uh, how are we at for time here? Well, here's what we should do. Um, we've gotten a lot of comments. And um, what I'd like to do is try to sift through some of them. Sure. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, what do we have here? Um, some light blasphemy in the comments. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe, how do you reconcile? My great grandmother would be very angry. <laughs> she would. Uh, was she a, was she a believer? Uh, yeah, I believe my great grandmother. I think both of my great grandmothers were for sure. Oh. Well, I hope to see him in heaven, and I hope you will too. By the way, um, wait. You know what? <laughs> Listen, before we do this, before yeah. we do this, we haven't talked about the ultimate message of well being. Okay, Travis, has anyone ever explained to you? We've talked a lot about the biblical worldview. Your your. I'm not going to say the atheistic worldview because I understand that there's different interpretations of it, but yeah. but your atheistic worldview has anyone ever explained to you the biblical gospel at the heart of the biblical worldview? Um, yeah, like like hundreds of times I've had hundred I've had conversations, hundreds of conversations with people like yourself, uh, you know, who are professing to know uh, what the Bible's all about, and quite honestly, each conversation is is a unique interpretation. It seems. Okay, so this is why, oh, I'm sure it is unique, by the way, but if you're implying by that, that sometimes what people say is, oh, there's so many different interpretations of what the Bible says that, um, you know, that must mean that the Bible itself is unclear or, or something like that. I don't know if that's where you were going with that. Well, well, what I look for is I look for when the human is taking their own liberties and saying, oh, this is how I justify this and this and that. But then I see a group like the Westboro Baptist Church who seem to be the true Christians, because they're 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 following it word for word. They're not saying, "Oh, you know, I think Jesus abolished these laws," and then it's like, no, they're they're following it word from word the best that they can. Now, wait, wait a minute. Are you assuming that people who say Jesus abolished these laws are wrong? Yeah, Jesus uh, didn't abolish the the old laws, as far as I can tell by by an honest, clear reading of of the scripture. That that bears that deserves a, a theological discussion because sure. yeah because um jesus the reason well jesus came for a number of reasons but the um have you you've read the the new testament i presume yeah okay so there's a statement made by jesus that sometimes people turn to and they use it to say see jesus never abolished the law um and let me see if i can pull up the exact reference it's Matthew, I believe Matthew. Yeah, there's a, there's a few, uh, there's Matthew 5, uh, 18, 19, which right. is, for truly I say to you, to heaven and earth uh, pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass. Uh, Keep going. The law until all is accomplished. Bingo, there it is. Um, 
And then, and then there's also, there's also, oh, do you think I've come, the one I typically use is, do you think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets? I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Yes. Amen. I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest part or the smallest part of a letter will pass from the law until all things have taken place. Matthew 5, 17. Let the record show that I've got Travis Pangburn reading and quoting scripture. This is great. It's a step (laughs) in the right direction. If you cut it together enough, you can you can you can win a few more souls. Yeah, well, only uh, only Jesus can do that. But let me um, not video editing, winning souls. Um, technically, the Holy Spirit. But um, what you just what you just said, I mean, there's brilliant the, the two verses you just read because you proved my point. Um, and and I at least want you to see this from an from an Orthodox Christian, a small Orthodox, not Eastern Orthodox, but uh, Orthodox meaning right teaching. Um, you, Jesus says, "Do not think I've come. No, no, uh, I've not. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law, but but to fulfill it." And Jesus says, "Not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away until all is accomplished." The very thing that he said he came to do. Don't think that the law will pass away until it's accomplished. I've come to accomplish the law. Do, Why do you think, think that's what he means by all until all is accomplished? He he said he came to accomplish to fulfill the law. Uh, I have not. I have not come. But, to but when he says all is fulfilled, them right. But, but, but when he says all, all is accomplished. Uh, how do you know it's all accomplished? Because that's why. Because he said so. He said he came to fulfill it. For, to fulfill the law is to. So the law was put in place for Israel. It was given to theocratic Israel, literally theocratic. God literally ruled them. Um, They they were not priest kings. They did not have priest kings. Sometimes people think that's what theocracy means. No, theocracy literally means God rule. Um, The the priests and the kings were, it was a separation of powers, prophet, priest, and king. And those three three positions were united in Christ. Um, So if you want to say he's a priest king, I'm good with that. But, um, But the... The law was given um, to do a number of things. The first thing that it did was it showed, it accomplished the dual purpose of showing people how sinful they were, to show how holy God is, and to show how badly they needed a savior. Jesus comes and he shows how holy God is. He shows um, how sinful we are. We crucified him after all, we meaning humanity, and that we need a savior. And so the gospel message, the, the gospel means good news, the um, so Jesus perfectly obeyed the law. Someone someone's commenting. Uh, Donna Flanke is commenting that um, Jesus kept the Old Testament laws. He kept them, but he also transcended them. So he healed on the Sabbath. He um, he uh, declared all foods holy. So he did away with with that law. But then he also gave a new law that transcended the old law. So he came perfectly, obeyed the law, transcended it and set himself up as the new lawgiver, the truer and better Moses. And Moses himself prophesied that Jesus would come, a prophet like Moses, to do exactly that. And uh, warned the Israelites of his day that they needed to listen to him. Really, it was a warning for their descendants. They needed to listen to that truer and better prophet who would come. Jesus is that truer and better prophet. He obeyed the law, laid himself down as a perfect sacrifice for sin, um, was, uh, was killed for our sins, was buried, rose, appeared to many, 
ascended back to heaven, and now he reigns over the universe holding it all together, which is why we can do things like science, because Jesus holds the universe together. So the gospel message is that, Travis, your sins have separated you from God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And if you will repent of your sins and trust in Jesus, you'll be forgiven, you'll be given eternal life, and uh, you'll be set free from your autonomous efforts to come up with your own morality and uh, and worldview that ultimately ends up in contradiction. Yeah. Well, my I think my my uh, moral foundation is superior because. I don't have to go through this process of, 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 you know, presenting these, these, these 10 commandments, 10 rules or anything like that. I give a system that allows people to evaluate, uh, as things come up in their lives. And, uh, I don't think that system, um, is, uh, I think, I think it's easy to upgrade, uh, from the Bible, especially if you, if you look at some of the things in the Old Testament that people glom onto, and also your interpretation about uh, the Jesus's fulfillment, uh, what we were just talking about, is it possible you're wrong about that? Be specific. Is it possible that you are wrong about Jesus? Um, you know the, the fulfillment that Jesus was talking about. Uh, is is it possible that that hasn't happened yet, and the and the uh, and the Old Testament laws are supposed to be adhered to right now? No, and it's not possible because you well, think you're doing an honest, re you think you're doing a correct reading. I well, yeah, I mean, of of both his history and scripture, the temple is not in existence anymore. So. Uh, Jesus prophesied that within the lifetime of his hearers, the um, the uh, end of the temple sacrificial old covenant age would come about. That did happen in 70 AD, roughly 37 years after Jesus prophesied it, and which is well within the lifetime of his hearers. And um, and so to say that the old covenant law is still in effect, first of all, you have to presuppose that it was given by God and that it was in effect in the first place. But no, the same Bible that tells me that God gave the Old Testament law also records the prophecies that the Messiah would come and lay down his life as a sacrifice, the best sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice for his people. And uh, that sacrifice would be done away with. Daniel prophesied that. And then that's exactly what happened in history, just as the Old Testament prophets and Jesus prophesied. So, you know, the, I, I understand where you're going with that question, but, um, you know, the the, the fact of the matter is none of, no interpretation of Scripture makes any sense whatsoever unless you already presuppose that it's true and we can do things like interpret a text, get to the author's original meaning, have logic, have, have uh, historical inquiry. And yep. that all starts with the, the biblical presupposition. Yet you don't apply that same logical formation to the night before Christmas. The night before Christmas is not a revealed text from God. It's not a, it's not a worldview. What's that? How do you know it's not a revealed text from God? And it and it seems to have a a, a larger grasp. Uh, like it it is it is part of a worldview. Wouldn't you agree? No, really. The night before Christmas it, is part of a worldview. Well, yeah. I mean, like people people do celebrate. You believe, do you believe in it? Do you believe it's true? No, no, I don't believe it's true. But I, I believe right. there's just as much evidence for uh, the existence of Santa Claus than there are for the existence of any gods. 
Well, evidence itself, as I was trying to tell you earlier, evidence itself presupposes the existence of the biblical God. So, uh, no, you, what's that? No, it doesn't. Every scientist on this planet essentially would disagree with you. Well, that's not true. Number one. Uh, number two, even if it were true, that's an argument argument to uh, authority. Or no, I I know, but I, but I'm but I, I'm not I'm not saying that it's 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 correct because so many of them believe it. I'm not making that claim. I, I'm saying that the 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 experts who work in the field of science who are trying to figure out what's going on in reality, mm -hmm. uh, God doesn't come up in the conversation about evidence. No, and yet the presuppositions of God's existence and of the faithfulness that's baked into the universe, um, the dignity of life, uh, the morality that says you shouldn't lie about your scientific findings. Those are all over science. Um, you know, uniformity in nature, the idea of repeatability that you can't do science without those presuppositions. So, um, it's kind of like, there's a book in the Bible called Esther and God is not mentioned once in the book of Esther. And it's like, well, how is this book in the Bible? But when you read the book, you see there's all these coincidences. There's all these things that happen that, um, you know, God's all over the book, but he's never mentioned by name. Science is a little bit like that because um, everything that the Bible says about God and the way he created the universe and the way he created our mind is, is assumed in science, even if the practitioners of science deny the conclusions that those assumptions lead to. There's, you know, people are inconsistent. I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to deny that, and I don't think you would either. Yeah, I, but doesn't it, it didn't didn't the Bible? Uh, I'd have to pull up a reference, but didn't the Bible get the uh, get it all wrong with uh, being, uh, saying that the Earth was here before the Sun? Well, the the Bible that says light, that everything was that light existed before the Sun. Do you think that all light originates from the Sun? Uh, no, it, it originates from the Big Bang. Okay, so the the idea that the that light couldn't have existed before the sun is really irrelevant you don't believe that i don't believe that well it's talking about light with with uh, in relation to our earth right in the, yeah. in the way it's written yeah so. yeah that's I, I i there's there's not there's not like a logical contradiction i mean that's not anyway um maybe next time we can talk about um young earth old earth that kind of stuff sure, sure. um okay that being said, um, okay, I'm going back up to the top. Okay, guys, if you're still watching and you have a question, we've still got a number of people watching. The viewership has been pretty consistent. Um, if you want to ask myself or Travis a question, um, go ahead and leave it in the comments. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to try to choose ones for you and for me, Travis. At Think Institute, not even Plato believed Zeus to be the prime mover. Okay, right. So comparisons between uh, Jehovah or Yahweh and Zeus, um, that's just a categorical difference, Travis. Uh, even the ancient Greeks wouldn't have seen the, the same kind the of example. Thing. The example brought up isn't isn't to say that they're in the same category of gods. Uh, it's to it's to point out that people were con convicted of uh, to the existence, the idea of the existence of Zeus, as much as you are to the existence of uh, Yahweh. 
Well, you'd have to take that on a person-by-person basis. I mean, Plato certainly didn't seem to be convinced of that. Aristotle didn't seem to be convinced of that. There were Um, a lot of devout followers of the of these gods. Yeah, I mean that's that's true. A lot of there's a lot of devoted atheists today, if we can call them devout or devote. Um, Well, I mean, it's just simply give us a demonstration of these gods, and it just hasn't happened. Yeah, and and you keep using the word demonstration. To quote Inigo Montoya, I'm not sure you know what that word means. Um, when you say demonstration, are you? What do you mean by that? Like, like what would what would be a demonstration? Uh, the same way we demonstrate what an apple is. Well, the same ahead. way we demonstrate what what uh, you know the the theory of relativity. The same way we demonstrate gravitational theory, the same way we de- demonstrate evolution, uh, the theory of evolution, uh, the same way we we, you know, demonstrate uh, jet propulsion. Man, come on! It's you claim to be a man that understands science. It, that's it, science is based in demonstration. Okay, so you would say, unless we are able to prove God as as we can prove jet propulsion, uh, you refuse to believe in him. It's an is claim. It's an is claim like any other is claim. If someone says this thing does exist, that's an is claim, and we ought to be able to demonstrate it. And so, so is are you under the impression that all truth claims are demonstrable the exact same way? Uh, no, not necessarily, because uh, sometimes, you know, it, it, like someone brings home a bag of groceries, right? And then they'll say, I just went to the grocery store and came back. That is an is claim. Yeah. We don't we we don't know uh, we know to a, a reasonable uh, uh, level of plausibility that that is what happened, but we don't know if they stopped somewhere or if they if the if the grocery bag was from yesterday. Like there are some, but but you know some of that we uh, you know with inference, right? We we infer that that this is you know very likely what happened. Okay. So claims are claims are different, right? So someone someone says, you know, I Australia was beautiful last week. I went there, I flew there and I just got back. Uh, you know, they have tan skin. So, you know, it's it's like, okay, I'm I'm willing to buy that. Sure. But if they're saying that I sprouted angel wings and flew to Australia yeah. uh, on my own back and then flew back and it was a great trip, then there's going to be a lot to examine there. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. Um, I'm concerned you might be committing what Greg Bonson, who was a thinker of the twenty first, uh, the twentieth century, calls the crackers in the pantry fallacy. Um, he, I pull, I found this quote. He says, "We might ask, is there a box of crackers in the pantry?" And we know how we would go about answering that question. But that's a far, far cry from the way we go about answering questions determining the reality of, say, barometric pressure, quasars, gravitational attraction, elasticity, radioactivity, natural laws, names, grammar, numbers, the university itself that you're now at. He obviously gave this talk at a university. Past events, categories, future contingencies, laws of thought, political obligations, individual identity over time, causation, memories, dreams, or even love or beauty. In such cases, one does not do anything like walk to the pantry and look inside for the crackers. There are thousands of existence or factual questions, and they are not at all answered in the same way in, in each case. That's and exactly so, what I just said. So what right. are you talking about uh, thinking that I just committed that? 
Well, because um, the idea that you can demonstrate God's existence in the same way that you can demonstrate with the example you gave of, of jet propulsion or, um, you know, in terms of, you know, you mentioned, I don't care how you demonstrate it, man. I, I didn't say I I'm, I'm giving you examples of demonstration and how sometimes we simply just infer and, and don't demand a demonstration that, you know, my wife went to actually get groceries. Uh, sometimes we, we, we believe based on uh, reasonable inferences, but that's why I brought that up. Uh, um, and, and, and it's not up to me to figure out a way to demonstrate the thing that you believe to exist. It's up to you. Uh, the burden of proof is on you. So, well, I, I would actually flip that around and say the burden of proof is on you to demonstrate that the idea of morality or the preconditions of science or logic are meaningful in an atheistic universe, in a godless universe. I, I have done that, and people, uh, everyone listening to this conversation can be the judges of going back and seeing what I had to say about the emergent properties of the mind. Okay. I I, I would encourage them to do that. Um in terms of uh, historical realities, um, Elicio Trejo mentions that the biblical worldview is historical as well. Um, you know, that is actually a good point. We haven't really gotten into historical evidences for Christianity, um, but it's it's a fun thing to look into. It's, um, you know, for Christians watching this, I don't want you to get the impression that the biblical history is in some way ahistorical or or unhistorical. Um, there's actually scholars who devote their whole lives to the historical reality of scripture. And there's a lot of scholars that uh, are not convinced that Jesus existed or that any of this stuff uh, really occurred. Do you believe uh, that, that Jesus didn't exist? I'm not, I'm not sure actually. I, it, I've heard some good arguments either way that there, there may have been an activist type figure named Jesus that people believe to be divinely inspired. Um, uh, I think you know, if there was, um, you know, he, it, it sounded like he had some he, good, good, uh, moral ideas for a man of the time and likely why he had some followers if he actually did. But, uh, I'm almost certain that he did not rise from the dead. And I'm almost certain that he is not the son of God or any gods. I'm all any certain gods. of that, but the pro he, see the difference between us. I say almost certain because it is possible that all of that stuff is true. Now yeah. you are not willing to admit that it, that, that it's not possible that you're, that you're wrong. Yes. And, and that's the strength of the biblical worldview is that it's, it's, it's not a strength, man. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's faith and it's, it's a no. dirty uh, mind virus as far as I'm concerned. I, I, I hear you say that, but you know, throwing epithets at it doesn't, uh, it doesn't do anything any more than, well, you know, I, I gave the def my I, definition of what I see and what I smell when I see, uh, when I hear someone make a faith-based argument of, yeah. yeah, I just start off with believing and then everything becomes known to me. It's like, uh, it's it just, it's not interesting. And there's, there's a reason why religion's dying, man. And you should, you should let it die. It's like worldwide. It's it, these, these unsubstantiated God beliefs. Kids aren't buying it anymore. And it's a good thing. Travis. Um, one of the things I would encourage you to do is to really give some serious thought. You're a philosopher. Give some serious thought as to why the laws of logic and the the laws of morality as you know you do believe in morality even if you say it's subjective you you do speak in terms of oughtness and i think you need to give yourself a little more credit with that um than maybe you do um 
and the preconditions of science and uh, the the meaningfulness of of language, which presupposes intelligibility in the universe and um, the integrity of the laws of logic. What I would really encourage you to do is this, rather than say, well, I'm on the right side of history, religion's dying out, because that's not an argument. That's that's an observation. It's a subjective observation. Yeah, I'm I'm making an observation. Right, and and actually, um, you know, you could make the point. You could make the counter argument that the world is growing more religious. Uh, atheism is is not growing. Um, it is actually not not based worldwide. on my definition. Based on my definition, it is okay. But e even if it were, even if even if there were no Christians on Earth. Uh, that would do nothing to the integrity or the veridicality of the biblical worldview. So well, if just, it was not on earth, not it, it would die. It, it would be dead just like many other religions before it, right? Well, there's still pagans who believe in the old Greek gods. So again, that's not really an argument. That's not. No, I'm saying, I'm, 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 just, I'm not saying, I'm not making an argument. I'm saying, I'm saying that. I, what I am observing is that religiosity and religious thinking, uh, buying into the actual existence of gods, mm -hmm. the, uh, people are transitioning into the Jordan Peterson version of Christianity, where they don't have to uh, buy into anti-scientific nonsense, like not believing in the theory of evolution. Like that, that is just completely anti-scientific. Five and, years. And, you know, it's... Go and look, yeah. go and, you keep bringing up evolution, go and look at what happened at the Royal Society in 2017. Um all that being said, you know, what you call a mind virus is the fundamental, it's the, it's the epistemological precondition for scientific inquiry. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm saying the mind virus is, is the buying things on faith. You're like, like the presuppositionalists do by starting off uh, with the idea that God exists. It's just a complete mistake. It's illogical, irrational. Uh, it's not logically sound. It's, it's just, it's, 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 there's, there's zero, there's nothing illogical about it. The biblical worldview is completely coherent. It does not have logical contradictions. It's, uh, there's, there's nothing invalid about believing the biblical worldview. So to say that it's illogical, you'd have to change the definition of logic. No, I'm talking about it's illogical to say, uh, I, I, I believe in this presupposition of God because God said so. The sound, the, the logic is not sound. It, it, because God said so in this book. That that's not sound logic. That there's no there's no logical contradiction to say that uh, you know I believe that the walls of Jericho fell down because the Bible records that fact. That, that that's not no, a logical. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the the presuppositionalist start of of saying I believe that that what is said in the Bible is true because God said it was. Oh, that, oh. That, that's not sound logic. That's just no that there. That's that's not that's not illogical. Any it's actually far less circular because it's an open circle. Um, no, it's not. It's not open at all. It's it, final. It no. starts off by saying presupposing that there is a god at the start, and that's just. Yes. That, that's, that's not illogical to do though you have to show why that's illogical you have to demonstrate that first premise that the god exists okay okay travis think about what you're doing right now so you have um the biblical worldview has an objective universal starting point for all knowledge all all inquiry of any kind whether it's philosophical scientific or, or historical or whatever it has a what sorry it has an absolute starting point for epistemology an epistemic starting point a reference point for all inquiry i.e the 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 person of god the the mind of god the self-revealing god 
Yeah, so so like the Matrix controller. No, the Matrix controller would be a contingent being. I'm talking about know? the God who exists necessarily. How do you know the the Matrix controller isn't a God? Do, do you believe that we're in a Matrix? No, I, do, then, I don't. Then why I don't think that's possible, but it's possible, but you say it's impossible. What what I'm saying is, the is it impossible that we're that we're in in the matrix? But see, this is this is what's. I'm playing. Honestly, here, what I'm doing here is I'm pulling at your your devotion and your level of certainty. Yes, but you're not doing an internal critique. What and and I, I really wish more atheists would understand this is to show that the biblical worldview is illogical or somehow contradictory, you have to step into the worldview for the sake of argument. That's not what you're doing. What you're no. showing is, hey, what if there was some other worldview that you don't believe and I don't believe? Could that be true? And it's like, wait a minute, man. We're dealing with your mind and my mind, and we're trying to see if the presuppositions that are um, at the bottom of each of our ep uh, epistemic systems or moral systems or uh, whatever other system you know, we might be operating on yeah. actually coheres with the conclusions we're reaching. So you don't you need got, a bottom. What's that? You don't need a bottom. You do if you want to avoid an infinite regress. You absolutely well, need well, a bottom. It, it, an infinite regress may be possible. So No, it, no. An infinite regress means you literally abandon all knowledge. If you... It, let me ask you again. Is it possible to have an infinite regress? No. Okay. Because well, because if it were possible, then it wouldn't be possible. Yeah. Yeah. So is that possible? If we are in a simulation, is that possible? No. It, or could God make that possible? No. Uh, God couldn't make that possible. God could not. God could not make a situation obtain in which logic was illogical. That's not. That's not a possibility. No. Really. Okay. Yeah, could could God make a sandwich so big he couldn't eat it? Could God make a rock so big he can't lift? And why couldn't he? Because that's a logical impossibility. Could could, could upgrade the standard of what it means to be a god and just oh, create the damn sandwich? You're 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 thinking in terms your of your imagination is failing you. I think. What? What's that? <laughs> I think your imagination is failing you when you think of what your god could do. Because I'm imagining a more powerful god than you. You're imagining a god. Who would be? Who would have in his nature a contradiction? He would be both if he almighty to. and not almighty. Yes. That's not wish to. Yes. A no. A god. A god who is um, self logically incoherent is by definition false. That's not. That's not the god that I believe in. So you haven't done anything. I know you don't believe in it, but I think my god being able to change in that way and create something, uh, or even create a greater god than he is. Uh, you say it, it's, it's not possible, but I say it, mm. it is possible. And, and that's a nice assertion, Travis, but, uh, if that's possible, then it's not possible. I wish you applied. Here's what I'm trying to demonstrate here. I wish you applied that reasoning that you just put on me to your own presupposition that, uh, you, you have a, you have the right God. Well, that's what we're doing is we're looking at the biblical worldview and you're trying to say, is it possible that the God who is the basis for logic isn't the basis for logic. And if that's the case, then logic would be, uh, lo logic would be illogical. Do you, well, do you it, hold on. It, do you, do you see that though? Do you see that? Um, first of all, we started talking about the infinite regress, um, for you to even tacitly endorse the laws of logic. 
you have to presuppose a, a, a metaphysic because your epistemology is rooted in your metaphysic. You have to presuppose a metaphysic that is no. ultimate, uh, uh, immaterial, invariant, no. knowable, and it has to, you have to somehow ground all that in your, See, in your atheistic well, universe. Wait, real quick, because this is very important. And not only that, but you have to come up with a way for you to know anything about those laws or that, or that metaphysical reality, given the fact that you have no solid epistemic starting point. So you have a defeater for all your beliefs because there could be a fact out there that negates every one of your beliefs. Yes. Do you see that? Yes. Yes, okay. and that's that. That's what it means to be to have a solid foundation in skepticism. Your that's not a solid foundation. That's continuing negation of a continuing to question. You're you're questioning and continuing to question and just going through the process of separating bullshit from reality. Yes, but that and, that and, process presupposes that there's truth out there. And what you just what you just um, revealed truth as demonstrated by the scientific method. The scientific it method it, it, has and, no basis and, according to what you just said, though. No, it, it, it gives us repeatable samples that we can use and we can use to make predictions. That's, that's all, that's all that's going on with science. It's not about finding absolute truth of anything. It's just about giving us models that work based on the evidence of reality, which presupposes so, that reality is, is intelligible no, and that experiments no, are repeatable. It, it doesn't, it just, it doesn't do that at all. It okay. just does what I said. It, it that's it's not making any grand statements about whether this this method's going to last forever or anything like that or, or there's any no, level, high it level doesn't have to it doesn't have to doing it's just showing how things work man right well it's it's assuming how things work and then acting on that assumption or presupposition it's not assuming it's building repeatable models Re that give you, prediction it's building repeatable models which is wait, that statement do you see that statement that you just made assumes induction. Do you see that? It's not assuming anything. It's exactly what I said. You don't even have to think about uh, induction. Don't have to think about anything. So keep it within the realm of, uh, into the simplistic realm of, oh, look, we have something going on in reality. I wonder what that is. Let's go figure it out. Okay, we built this model to, uh, uh, to, to describe magnetism, yeah. and that seems to work for now, but, but we may change it. Oh. It seemed to work in the past. That's yeah, and it gets upgraded as, as we put more evidence into the model. Okay, what, what you just said was a statement of faith about how things will be in the future. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Okay, well, it, we can move on. Can okay. But anyways, I, I should go, dude. Do you, did you have anything? Yes, more? yes. No, I know we're way over time. Listen, if you asked a question, um, first of all, thank you everyone for watching. Thanks for the great um, uh, interaction. What I, what I attempted to do was I tried to look at the comments. So um, Travis, forgive me if I seem distracted at all. No I was, I was uh, trying to look at the comments. And, I get it, man. I'm there all the time. I know you are. I know you can relate. It's nice to, it's yeah. nice to talk to a fellow YouTuber. Um, but uh, I tried to incorporate what some of the things that they were saying into the conversation. Yeah, man, cool. uh, this was great. You're up in, uh, where, where are you located right now? I'm in Canada in, in Vancouver. In Vancouver. Yep. Well, I've always wanted to check out Vancouver, so maybe sometime I'll make it up. Yeah, we could do an in-person uh, chat. That would be fun, and then I can bring you to Science World, show you around the city. It's it's a fun city. Love to, man. I'd love to. We can talk about. Uh, we can we can have this conversation in person. Yeah, um, sounds good, man. All right, that sounds great. And listen, by the way, can you get me some kind of an in with Jordan Peterson? That's all <laughs> I want. 
And that's all. I'll just, you know what? I'll consider that, uh, you know, a personal favor. All right. I will, uh, I will, uh, have a thought about that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the most non-committal response ever. Thank you, Travis. I appreciate all it. Right, thanks brother. Hey, all right. Talk to you later. Have a great day. You too. All right. Thank you so much for watching my interview with Travis Pangburn, the uh, atheistic skeptic philosopher and YouTuber. Um, definitely go and check out his work over at pang-burn.com. Um, and of course, in saying that I'm not endorsing his worldview or any of his argumentation or anything like that. But um, I really do appreciate his coming on the show. And um, you know what? It is just, it's such a blessing to be able to talk to somebody who disagrees with me. Why? Because um, because I, I love uh, fighting about worldview stuff. Yeah, a little bit. I do. I enjoy it. But also, it's just, it's it's a uh, a great experience to be able to see how the, the biblical worldview stacks up against its competition. And um, I'll maybe I'll do a follow-up video to this right now, but um, right now, uh, I guess all I really have to say is to remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel if you haven't done that yet. Make sure you hit the bell. If you're watching on Facebook, give this video a like and then go ahead and like the Think Institute page that you're probably watching this on or if you're watching this in one of the groups I shared it to. Thank you for watching. Thank you for engaging in that group. And um, let me see what else. Ah, if you're listening via the podcast and you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to the podcast. And would you be so kind as to leave us an honest five-star rating and review. That helps the Apple algorithms to know that people like our podcast, care about the podcast. Every now and then we pop up on the charts, whether at home or abroad. And um, I know that's because of you folks listening and um, and engaging. And one quick comment from Donna Flenke, we need to be able to do more of that, she says. Discussion with those who disagree with us and be open to really trying to understand their view. Donna, I know that there are some things that you and I disagree with, uh, disagree about, and so I appreciate you saying that, and I fully agree. Um, listen, my hope is that those of you who are listening and watching to this program would begin to engage with the claims of the Bible seriously and meaningfully. And my sincere hope is that someone, and maybe many people, Lord willing, would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ as presented on this program and would understand that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. I sure hope you heard something helpful to you. I know I certainly did. One more, no, two more quick plugs. One, if you are interested in having me come and teach an apologetics evangelism or worldview course at your church or for your group, I want you to email me, please, at thethink.institute at gmail.com. Um, I also am running Hammer and Anvil Society cohorts, which are a lot like the courses, but they're intense discipleship cohorts, usually from about six to 12 people taught by me, facilitated by you. They're a lot of fun. We're doing our first one right now on uh, the Gospel of Mark. I've got a number of guys signed up for that. And uh, Lord willing, we're going to get two more going pretty soon here. Um, but if you want to know more about that, go to thethink.institute slash hammer and anvil or email me at the address on your screen, thethink.institute at gmail.com. And finally, also, I want to say uh, that 
let's see, here we go. I'll put it up on the screen. You can partner with the Think Institute and the Sedicase family, that's my family, by going to give.crew.org slash 101-8841. Well, Alisa and I are support-raising missionaries with an organization called Crew. That's why it's give.crew.org slash 101-8841. So if you believe in this work, you want to help us out, you want to support us, partner with us through prayer and financial means, uh, by all means, please do that. And um, we appreciate it. So thanks for your support. Thanks for your prayers. And that's about all I have for you today. It went long. I hope it was helpful. And until next time, I hope it made you think.